be in Acts chapter 2, if you want to turn there. It's uh, very good to hear people singing um, and responding. And uh, to me, it's just a kind of a preview of what we have coming our way in a couple of weeks. Um, and so we kind of went from from Easter into the ascension of Jesus and I've uh, just kind of stayed on that timeline and I think it's a very um, appropriate thing for us to um, you know to, to know the timeline of the story but it's amazing to me how much how much it syncs up with what we're engaging with right now um, in all of our personal lives and uh, culturally and globally uh, to go back and to look at the the beginnings of the church it, it god's going to remind us of some stuff that that maybe we've forgotten or if you haven't forgotten it he's going to reinforce some things that are are good and important you know for all of us and so um last week we we began uh the second chapter of acts where the holy spirit uh um is poured out on all of the believers in the in, in the upper room and so 120 folks in the upper room praying, waiting for this promise that Jesus had made to them to be fulfilled, that his spirit would come. And, and, when, and when that happened, he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that, that one verse, Acts 1.8, that is a, also a framework for how the book of Acts is, is sectioned off. Uh, you have a Jerusalem section, then you have a Judea and Samaria section, and then there's a ends of the earth. And so that's the kind of the roadmap that we're on. And so, um, so the the spirit is poured out on the on the believers. They um, it, it sounds like a, a rushing wind, and uh, it looks like like fire. Tongues of fire are are resting on on everyone's head, and they begin to they begin to worship the Lord. But they're worshiping not in their native language. They're worshiping in in another known language that's there. Uh, they don't know. They're just they're just overwhelmed with this incredible moment, and uh, that God's doing this miraculous thing. And so they spill out of the upper room and they go into uh, an, an area that's that's in Jerusalem. It's close to the temple, and so there's all these there's thousands of people that are there for the festival, and so they're looking and they're looking at these worshipers and they're saying. Uh, how how is that how is that man that woman um, they're praising God in my language but they shouldn't know my language they're not from where I'm from how do they how is this happening and that's so all of there's like all these different languages where God's being worshipped in thousands of people are, are out there hearing someone worship in their native tongue that shouldn't know it and there's a they're, they're confused they don't they have no idea what to do with it. Um, and some, you know, there some are astonished, you know, and they're they're like, we need to know what's going on. And other people say, oh, they're they're probably probably had too much wine, you know. Um, and so uh, in verse fourteen, Peter uh, basically like hushes everyone down, and Peter does what Peter does, and he, he like drops the hammer, and it's awesome. And that's what we're gonna look at today. Uh, there's a lot of verses that we'll look at, so um, just kind of hang in there a little bit. So. Let's, let's read, starting verse 14. Um, it says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give an ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, 
as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, which is like 9 a.m., which, granted, kind of early to be drunk. Okay. Um, Then he quotes from uh, the prophecy of Joel. He says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I'll show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, so let's stop right there. Um, what Peter does is he helps them interpret these events that are happening right before their eyes. This is, like, we could stop right there, and there's probably enough sermon content in that one concept. You know, He's helping them interpret what's going on around them. Um, parents, you do this for your kids all the time, right? Right, Jake? Yeah. Like, your kids are trying to navigate their way through their lives, and parents are there to help them understand, well, this is, this is what's going on. This is, uh, this is what's happening culturally or historically or in your own life. And you ask questions and you listen to your kids, and, and you are there, parents, to help them understand uh, and interpret life because on their own they they are not equipped to interpret it accurately and consistently that's what parents are for um, the that in part two it, in part also is that we uh, it's kind of what I was saying earlier about we're there to do that for culture where everyone's like man what's going on 2020 is is berserk and the world's melting down and we're the ones that are to help them interpret that say yeah uh, the world's broken that's what we're seeing over and over and over again. Uh, these are all reasons that Jesus came. Um, we, as Christians, that's a part of our ministry in terms of the ministry of reconciliation is we're helping people understand, yes, things are not as they should be. Jesus came to make them as they, as they were meant to be the whole time. Um, and so, like, so that's what's going on. So Peter is helping. They're all confused, and they're arriving at the wrong conclusions. He's like, no, I'm going to get you to the right conclusion. And what he does, though, is he, uh, they, like... He he meets them where they are. You have this gathering of, of a couple thousand like Jewish like faithful pilgrims. So what's he going to do? He's going to quote a prophet that they would know. He's going to meet them on their turf, and he's like, "Well, you actually you actually should know what's going on because Joel said this was going to happen." So he quotes this passage from Joel, probably from memory. And what should be happening in the moment is they're connecting all these dots. They're like, ah, so what Joel said would happen, that's, we're watching it happen right, right in this moment. That's what should be happening because that is what's happening. He's like, you, should, you better than anyone should know exactly what's going on because Joel said it would happen. And it just so happens that, that you have kind of lost touch with the fact that this was going to happen one day. Um, who thinks that today is the day that a prophecy comes true, you know, but he's like, this is the day. And look at the, like, if, if you were to go back through the passage, there are some pretty incredible patterns. Like he says, he says, this is all going to happen in the last days, which is the section of time between the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus. So all this is happening from 
like this where they are in the timeline is within this span of time. So when he says in the last days, he's not just talking about uh, you know apocalyptic stuff. He's including the moment that they're standing in. Um, he it talks about the pouring out of the spirit. It talks about prophecy, visions, dreams, signs and wonders in the sky and on the earth. Salvation coming to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Um, he t- talks about like it's the Spirit coming to all flesh, and look at all he lists: sons, daughters, young men, old men, male, female, servants. Like he's he's like, look at all the things that are happening right before your eyes, and look at what Joel said, and you'll see that God is God is doing this. Like God has orchestrated this moment in time, um, and some of the things in the Joel prophecy are happening right there. And some of the things in the Joel prophecy will happen down the road in the timeline. Um, but this is like this moment, which, uh, which is an incredible, an incredible like, moment in time, if you think about it. If you were a part of generations that have been waiting for a prophecy to come true, and here it is in your midst, and you're like, whoa, that's, that's a heavy moment. Um, but it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, uh, if you don't understand the other historic moment. That has already happened. So for them, just saying, no, this is what Joel said would happen, that doesn't connect the dots because in order to understand the outpouring of the Spirit, you have to understand like, that Jesus paved the way for that to happen. So they can't just say, yay, a prophecy came true, let's enjoy the festival. Uh, so he's like, he, he helps them interpret the moment, and then what does he do? He brings it back to Christ. So parents, you're trying to interpret your life for your kids, you're trying to help them navigate through it, you have to bring it back to Christ. Like That's, that's a part of it. As we're helping culture understand, yeah, brokenness, hope, Jesus, all those things. Like Jesus has to be a part of it. We can't go into something like racial reconciliation and just make it about reform here and there and, and all these kinds of other things and then act as though Jesus is a, like, a, like way over here. He's not really a part of that. We can kind of fix this ourselves. Jesus is a part of the solution. So you can't dismiss one side or the other. They fit together. Jesus came in person to do the reconciling. And now he's given us his spirit in person to do the reconciling. And so he doesn't just leave it at, leave it at one thing. He brings Christ into it because they have to understand Christ in order to understand the pouring out of the spirit and what God is doing. So, verse 22, um, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. This is when the hammer drop comes. Uh, a little more, more forcefully. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I love that so much. Oh my gosh, I read that this week. And I was like, that's got to be one of the best verses in the whole Bible. Like death, like death tried to hold him and it couldn't. You know, We sing that, death could not hold you. you know, like we sing it, we know it, but for some reason it hit me. I was like, it was, in, it was not possible for him to be held by death. Oof. Okay, so... He, he, he lays this foundation of, of understanding Jesus is the Messiah and you killed him. And then he quotes from David, again, meeting them, meeting them where they are. Uh, verse 25, this is from Psalm 16. David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. 
Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or you could think of hell, um, or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So he, he quotes from Psalm 16, which they would have all known. They would have grown up singing that as, as a part of, of worship. And probably this psalm, like a lot of the like, really smart Bible people are like, this psalm probably would have made zero sense to them. You know, they grew up singing it. They're like, we don't, we don't know what this is about necessarily, um, because they weren't conditioned to think of Messiah in terms of death, burial, resurrection. Like they weren't, you know. So they thought this was about David. They thought this was about like David was the holy one that wouldn't see corruption and all that kind of stuff. So they were real focused on David in that psalm. And so what Peter's doing is he's saying, hey, that psalm that you always were singing and you thought it was about David is about Jesus, the one, the one that you killed. Remember him. Uh, it was really about him the whole time. Um, and so Peter has like, he's done this masterful job of looking at this crowd. Like, okay, so you're all Jewish, which means that you you probably don't want anything to do with Jesus just yet because he's like the troublemaker, you know. Um, but you love the Psalms and you love Joel and you love prophecies and you love uh, like like the timeline that God's going to do this thing. And so he meets them where, where they are, and then he drives his point home. Look at verse 29. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb was with us to this day. So he's saying, like, this talks about not, like, basically not dying, but David's dead. We know where his, we know where his tomb is. Verse 30. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured this out that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord uh, said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He says, Hey, I know that you think it was David. Like, this is all about David. David died. David was pointing toward the Messiah to come. Jesus was the Messiah. Like everything, everything that you have been looking for, everything that you have been hoping for, every every bit of delivery that you always were just like, when is God going to rescue us? All of it is found in Him. In Him, in Him, we move and live and have our being. Like this is everything that you could possibly want is found in Christ. And for us, just to hit pause on that for a second, like that's a. Um, that's us, you know. Like that's a that's crucial that that we we are the ones who live as though Jesus is enough because He is, you know. Like the like everything around us can kind of be falling apart or changing or you know. There's all these things going on, and we're the ones that are like, no, I'm 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 good. Like I'm I'm steady because my life is is like 
it's like Christ is where my anchor is, you know, I'm, I'm anchored in him and in his promises and, and who he is. And so, so yeah, things in the world are going to get, get interesting sometimes and, and difficult and painful. We're going to go through all this kind of stuff, but we're, we're anchored to something that's greater that everything that we are looking for, everything that our world is looking for, all, all of it is found in him, that he is the treasure of our lives like that. Um, when we lose sight of that is when, when we become also the like unstable, uncertain, fearful, like whatever. So when we drift everywhere else. But so, so a part of what Peter is doing is he's, he's addressing this group who is really heightened because they've just watched this miracle and they're paying attention and he's meeting them where they are. And he's like, Joel said this, David said this, it was all pointing to Jesus and you killed him. But Jesus is the one that you've like everything that you've been hoping for is in him and you killed him. I know I keep saying you killed him, but that's what he says. He's like, you did this. You did this. Um, and so uh, it's like if I was in the crowd, I wrote this down. I was like, okay, hang on. Let me get this straight. The, this long-awaited Messiah came, and instead of following him, we killed him. And now he's alive. He's alive now. Uh, and he's in heaven and he's ruling the universe. And um, what are we supposed to do? Like, what do we do with that? Like, we, we missed it. Um, this prophecy we've been waiting on for all these years has come and passed us by. Have we missed the redemption that God sent to us? And so in verse 37, is what it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Brothers, what, what shall we do? They, they are cut to the heart. And that's, that, that's the deep work of the Spirit that only God can do. So like I, 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 as a pastor, I can't, cut, I can't cut any of you to the heart. You know? like I, I'm unable to do that. Um, I work hard to, to try to do the best that I can at what I'm called to do. And, and, you know, pass or fail doesn't really matter. I'm just trying to be obedient with the Lord. But I, on my very best day, I can't cut anyone to the heart. The, the spirit is the one who does that. And so here's this entire crowd that hears Peter just lay out just masterfully exactly what they need. And they're cut to the heart and they have the, the best response ever. And they said, brothers, what are we supposed to do? Tell me what to do with this this brokenness that I feel. And this is proof. Like in John 16, Jesus said, one of the verses, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Spirit comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So what's happening in this moment is the very thing that Jesus said. When the Spirit's moving, this is going to happen. People are going to be convicted of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. There's going to be a brokenness and they're going to look to the saints and say, what are we supposed to do? You know, like when people are, are, when the spirit is moving, they're going to look to us because we are the resident experts in this situation. And 
part of that is why we we're, we're like trying to grow in our in our discipleship and our spiritual mentoring ministry to have like when people are like I need to know what to do next we are like yeah here's here's how it goes we're all we're trained we're ready we're we're prepared to to have that that Ethiopian eunuch moment where we're like and they're like help me understand what I'm reading like yep ready to go let's do this like that's what the church is supposed to do and so in this moment we see it happening. For us, we are we're trying to like cultivate part of that kind of culture. So when people say, "Brothers, what are you supposed to do?" We know exactly what to say instead of, oh, "I don't know, let me Google it," you know, or something. Um, and so the uh, they say, "Brothers, what shall we do?" And um, there there they are, cut to the heart. And verse thirty eight, what does Peter say to them? He says this: "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." Like, uh, just here. Here's what you do. He wasn't like, well, you probably need to go to church for a while, join a community group, and uh, do this for a little bit, and then we'll kind of see. He's like, no, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Like, you need to be forgiven. That's what needs to happen. Uh, what you are cut to the heart about is this conviction of, yeah, we killed the Son of God. Now there's a there's one level where that's true of like they they conspired to murder him, but on a deeper level, uh, that's something that we're all a part of, right? Like our it was my sin that held him there, you know. So a part of the conviction that we feel is that Jesus died because of my own rebellion, and so we can identify with this moment. And so that repentance and that conviction is something that we all share. So when, when someone comes to know Christ, it's this realization of the beauty of who Jesus is and, and the, the corruption uh, like the, of, that we bring to the table that, was, that he took upon himself willingly, um, which makes him even more beautiful, right? Which makes us love him more, which makes him even more beautiful. And it's this like, self-perpetuating loop. Of, of love and grace and worship and all these like beautiful things that are happening. And so um, he tells them to repent, to change direction. Okay, so uh, instead, of, instead of freaking out, like change direction and look back at, at Jesus, look toward Jesus and follow him. And the forgiveness that you need and the infilling of the spirit that you need, those, those are the things that come after that. So it begins with saying yes to Jesus, this forgiveness that comes, and then the filling of the Spirit. And uh, not to get into this too much right now, but you know, there is a narrative out there that, that you, you get saved, and then some other point later on, you get to the point where then you get filled with the Spirit. Like you, you start off, like me and Jake over here, we, uh, we played freshman basketball together. You start off ninth grade team, right? You get you have the like fourth generation hand me down uniforms, like it's terrible. No one comes to your game but your parents, that kind of thing. Then there's like JV, which is like a little bit you know, a little bit nicer uniforms. A few more people come, and then there's like varsity. And so there's this kind of this idea of like, okay, so when you first become a Christian, you're like freshman, like type stuff, whatever, and then you kind of become JV. But one day. One day you'll get to be varsity, and that's when you get filled with the Spirit, and there's like this like second moment. That's not a biblical thing. There's nowhere in Scripture that says that. And so if that's ever been woven into your thinking somewhere, that, that those are separate things, then that's, there's, that's not what the Bible says. And that's not what we teach here at Living Hope. That when you are saved, like the, the Spirit fills you just like it filled them. Sometimes it takes a while for that infilling to show up in your life, you know, uh, the longer you walk with the Lord, there's like new, there's new things that you're discovering and growing, and that's like any relationship. Uh, but this filling of the Spirit, he says, this is a promise. And look what he says in verse 39. He says, the promise, 
Okay, basically the promise at verse 38 is true. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, sins forgiven, filled with the Spirit. That promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. He looks at this crowd. He says, this promise is for you. You who are responsible for the death of Jesus on multiple levels. This promise is for you. Um, this promise is for your children. Like this, isn't, this is not just for you who are hearing. This is to be passed on to your children. This promise is for those who are far off, which is code for Gentiles. This is for people who are not like you. These, this, this promise is also for the people that you hate. That's part of what he's saying. This promise knows no, uh, no ethnic background, no gender uh, separation. It knows no um, uh, exception based on your past. Uh, there's there like any kind of like division that we have come up with in our like brilliant kingdom of the world. It knows no bounds with any of those things. This promise is for you and your children and those who are far off. Everyone that God calls to himself. If God wants to call to himself, he's going to do it. And the thing is, Jesus is calling people. He's calling people. He's calling through creation. He's calling through the scriptures. He's calling through the church. Like we are a part of the call of Jesus to everyone. Everyone. So this is a promise. And it's for you. And you think about the people in your life. Um, who don't know that promise. This is a promise that's for them. That Jesus is calling to them. And uh, a part of what we need to be praying is for an incredible awakening right now. Um, and I don't, I don't, I know that's like a trendy kind of thing to say, but I'm talking about a spiritual awakening that the church would, would erupt in this. That the spirit that has been poured out on us already would be unleashed in our lives. And these, these kinds of things are happening to where we're able to say, God has made you a promise. You know, he's made all of us a promise. Um, that where there is repentance and there is a following of Jesus, there is forgiveness. And there's an indwelling of the spirit. There is an escape from the kingdom of the world as your only option into this kingdom of God. And so as all this fits together, verse uh, 40, it says, With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then, tucked in here at the end of the chapter, this little OPS, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Like, that wasn't the greatest sermon in the world, you know, like, um, like it was super good, but like it wasn't, he didn't have any like funny stories, no jokes, you know, no illustrations are like, wow, that was amazing. Uh, there was like, he, he just told them the truth. He knew his audience. He's was one of them. Like he, he understands, he related, he connects, he brings everything back to Jesus and like offers them the promise. And the Spirit does the cutting of the heart. The Spirit does the work. The Spirit does the drawing. The Spirit does all those kinds of things. Peter was just this obedient vessel in this moment. And for you and I, that's, that's the simplicity of what we're called to. 
uh, it's easy to overcomplicate it when we think about, oh, I, I just need to go and be obedient in my Monday. And I need to be tuned into the Lord enough to know what he's doing. And I just need to obey. And the Spirit is the one that uses uses me however he wants to. Um, I've, I've said this before. I heard Louis Giglio a long time ago talk about, uh, he compared it to a sailboat. You know, he said, you're... You, w- in in life, your job is not to be is not to like push the boat in the right direction. Like you're not trying to like drive your life in a certain direction. So your your job is to keep the sails up, so that when the wind of the Holy Spirit comes and pushes you, you're you're sensitive to those nudgings and those leadings and those like you know what to do, because the sails are up. And so the sails go up when we are in the Word and we're praying and we're in community together and we're we're we're. We're not going these long stretches without like finding true north again, all those kinds of things. And that way, when the Spirit leads us to act on certain things and say certain things and be a certain kind of presence in different situations, we are able to have these kinds of experiences. Um, what we read here, in one sense, is a very it's like a, a single event in history, a very unique story. Uh, but from a different perspective, it's sort of a template for how ministry works. Ministry in a world that uh, think they think they understand who Jesus is, but they don't. And so we are able to come in, and like it or not, we are the experts. You know? Because we know that Jesus is, is the gracious giver of life. And we are, we're image bearers, like we have that dignity and that respect, but we're figuring it out too, you know. None of us are experts in that regard, but um, as far as like who like the this promise coming true, that's something for us, you know. And so I don't have a big like, and here are my three my three points, you know, that kind of thing. I just like this story has a lot in it, and there's probably something that stood out to you, maybe something that you wrote down or something that you'll think of. Um, I'll just encourage you to not leave that here, um, leave it in this service. Because I think there's a lot here for us to be able to digest and to really think through and apply in different ways. Um, but as people who are, are engaging a culture that has a lot going on right now, um, for me this week and maybe hopefully for you too, it's a, a simple, like a reminder of the simplicity of what we're called to. And the fact that, that God, he, he definitely knows what he's doing. Like he orchestrated this moment in history. And he doesn't just orchestrate the big moments you know, and then kind of ignores the little ones. He's he's big enough to orchestrate all all the things that seem small and big to us, uh, all of them across the board. So uh, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a little bit and kind of let this uh, kind of maybe work its way through us for a few minutes before we close. So uh, join me as I pray. God, what a what a gift uh, this story is to us. Um, I'm grateful for Peter and for his his courage in this moment where you got thousands of people staring at you, just like what is going on. And he was he had the sails up, you know. He sensed your leadership, and you gave him the words, you gave him the 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 memory to think of those verses and to make those points. And when they said, "What do we do about it?" you you just you helped him. And that's what we need, God. We need help keeping the sails up and then we need that discernment in the moment to know what to say and how to say it. And and there's just so much that is a beautiful reminder here, but it all comes down to the fact that 
that Jesus is the hero of the story. And the promise of the Spirit being being for everyone that God is drawing uh, to himself. I mean, what a... It doesn't get more simple than that. And so may we be open to, to being cut to the heart. May we not look at that and think, oh, that's for, that's for people who don't know him yet. No, the cutting of the heart is all the time. May we be humble and teachable <clears throat> in that regard. May we be the kind of people who, who desire that. Like we want you to convict. We want you to, to shape us and grow us and mold us. But we want to be the people where Jesus is enough. He's, he's everything. That in him we live and move and find our, our, our being and our breath. Um, that Jesus would be our first love today and always. And so as we sing about this gospel that goes through, uh, has come to us on its way to somebody else that um, is working its way through our, our communities, our city, our state, our country, our world. And just help us to, to embrace the, the role that we play as individuals and also um, pack together as a congregation. And so may we sing to you and about you and um, may this be um, a way for us to fan into flame the things that you are stirring in us. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen.